Okay, I think we have, have sound. We've got sound. Okay, today we're continuing through our study on Romans and today we're looking at uh, chapter 6 um, and the sermon was entitled um, Sin Isn't Important. Um, so last week John spoke on Romans 5, God's gift of grace. And the line that really stuck in my mind all week was from one sinful man, Adam, sin came into the world and from one righteous man, Jesus, righteousness came into the world. And then this week in my Bible study, I was reading 1 Corinthians 15 and this jumped out of the page at me in verse 22. Far as in Adam, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, which is the same as what John was talking about last week. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that we can gather uh, today in your house. Um, Please help us to listen to the words. Um, Please help us listen to the spirit. Um, And please let us take something from this message. Um, Please help me to present it. and please open the ears of the congregation. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Right, first, I want to start with a confession. Uh, this has been probably one of the hardest sermons I've put together so far, not that I've done that many. Um, it has been a real challenge to me, and I've had a hard time trying to put on paper um, what I want to say. But at the end, I figured that truth is always a good place to start. And the truth is I struggle with this slave and sin concept. If I follow the commentaries and the sermons, which I've watched on YouTube, I'm supposed to preach the following line. So we are Christians and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, therefore we're free from sin. Non-Christians, on the other hand, are slaves to sin. Now, I could preach that, but the problem is I don't believe that. Um, Christians have freedom from sin as we have Christ living, so that's the line. Um, So I don't believe that for three reasons. There's three reasons where I've come to that conclusion. One is that I'm married to a non-Christian and the reason that I was attracted to my wife was she had a pure heart, purer than mine, I believe. And my wife is no more a slave to sin than I am. And I'm no freer from sin than my wife is. So that's one problem. Problem number two is because I'm continually disappointed in Christians. You only have to look at this church. All the fighting, all the squabbling, all the gossip over the years. How many people have left Wingham Baptist Church because of sin? Even pastors or ministers are not immune. I learned a long time ago not to look up at pastors because when you do, you may eventually be disappointed. How many people have looked at pastors with admiration as they appear to be so good, so righteous, and then they do something shocking, something sinful like adultery? And why should we expect more of them? Because at the end of the day, they're only human. But the third reason, and probably the most important for this passage, is perspective. I became a Christian when I was very young. And I don't remember how I viewed sin before I became a Christian. 
For me, it was like I've always been a Christian. I don't know any other way. But Paul, on the other hand, he's the other extreme to me. And we can see this in Acts. Paul, or Saul, as he was known, was not a nice man. He leads a violent persecution of young Christian, the young Christian church in Jerusalem. He goes from house to house, dragging men and women off to prison. When believers are found guilty of blasphemy, Paul calls them to be stoned to death. So when Paul is saved and becomes a Christian, there is this huge transformation in his life. From a man who tortured and killed to a man whose main aim in life was to serve and to save people. This is a huge transformation. Paul had this huge line down his life. So he had this huge before and this huge after. So for me, this is about perspective. I struggle with the whole Christians are free from sin and non-Christians are slaves to sin philosophy because I do not see it in day-to-day life. But if you look at this chapter through Paul's perspective, you can see this huge distinction between sin in the life of Christians compared to sin in the life of non-Christians. So, after all that, let's get to the scripture. So if you open your Bibles to Romans 6, which is what Denise just um, read earlier, and we'll start from Romans 6 verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in, sin, live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined in Jesus Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we're buried with Christ in, by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So chapter 6 starts off with a question. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Now Paul says this in response to Romans in the last chapter, Romans 5 verse 20, when he says this, and this is from a, like a newer type version, uh, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. It doesn't matter how many times you have sinned or how great your sins are. God has more than enough or an abundance of grace to save you. Paul's transformation was a good example of this. From a great sinner to a forgiven, saved sinner. But Paul didn't want this verse that he just read to be misinterpreted. He didn't want the readers to think that what he was saying was to keep on sinning so God could keep on forgiving you. His readers might think this, if we are no longer under the law, then we can do whatever we want and God will forgive us, right? If God forgives sinners, then why worry about sin? If God gives grace to sinners, then why not sin more and receive more grace? Sin is a great thing because it gives the grace of God a chance to operate. 
But Paul answers this in verse 2. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Of course not. This is unthinkable. Perish the thought. Away with the notion. No way, Jose. I think that's the Greek version. (laughs) When we were born again, when we believed in Jesus for our salvation, our relationship with sin is permanently changed. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop us from sinning. But now we know who we are sinning against. We are directly sinning against God. We put Jesus on a cross and now we go... Now are we going to continue to sinning, to sin, doing the exact exact same thing that he was crucified for? This is the one thing that does separate us from non-Christians. They don't realise that they sin against God. They believe that their sin is against the law or against the moral obligation. But our sin is directly against God. Their sin is too, but they don't realise that. So our sin is directly against God, against Jesus and against the Holy Spirit. And it should hurt us. We should feel guilt. We should feel embarrassment. And we should feel ashamed for sinning and not just thinking, oh well, I'm human, God will forgive me because that's what he does. We continue on with verse 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we we also may live new lives. Paul's point is clear. Something dramatic and life-changing happened in his life when he became a believer. He compares it to the symbolism of baptism, being fully immersed in water, symbolic of dying, and being buried and being raised again to new life. A changed life, a life where you don't want to sin because you love Jesus. I'm going to read verse 5 to 10. And although I want you to take notice of it all, I want you to particularly take note of one particular word. And that word is power. So this is reading from verse 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we'll also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful self were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. And now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. These verses mention two powers. The power of sin and the power of death. Sin has power. Sin can and does control people's lives. It has power over people. It may start small with virtually no power, 
But the more you give in to it, the more power it has and the more it controls you to a, to a point that it can become a habit and it can control your life. You probably know that a few weeks ago I was on a cruise. I went up to cruise to Cairns. And when I was there, I caught up with an old friend, Peter, and I probably haven't seen him for 25, 30 years. So I was asking him about all the boys, how's all the boys going that we used to hang around, and he was telling me about Brad. So when we were about 19 or 20, I suppose, Brad got into um, marijuana quite a bit, and Peter was telling me that when they go for motorbike rides, which they do quite often with a few friends, they always stop at a lunch, uh, a pub for a counter meal for lunch. But Brad doesn't stop at the, at the pub. He goes to a park and eats by himself, eats sandwiches in the park by himself because he can't afford the counter meal. Now, there's nothing wrong with being poor and not being able to afford the counter meal, but the reason he can't afford the counter meal is because he spends all his money on drugs. And he's my age, and he's still doing that. I just can't believe it. And even worse, Peter was telling me that he has a bonding session, I suppose you'd call it, with his son, where they go into the garage away from there their wife, and they smoke dope in the garage. So Brad, unfortunately, is a slave to marijuana. He is a slave to sin. Sin has power, and the power of sin and the power of death go together because the wages of sin is death. Verse 10 tells us that when he died, he died once to break the power of sin, but now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he broke the power of sin. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he broke the power of death. There is one thing that I wanted to point out in verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive through Jesus Christ. And that's the word consider. We should consider ourselves to be dead to the power of sin. It doesn't say that the power of sin is dead to all who believe it. It says we should consider ourselves to be dead to the power of sin. In other words, sin is like a dark shadow. It's just hanging around waiting to exert power on us again. It is not fully dead until we will be fully dead and then it will be defeated. Have you noticed our God is a God of free will? The angels have free will. We have free will. Christians or non-Christians, we all have exactly the same free will. We can and do still sin. We cannot escape it. It is in our nature, it is ingrained in us. And Satan seeks to separate us from God through the power of sin. But as Christians, evil enter us, enters us as a stranger, an alien, one that may wreak havoc, but one that is despised, not honoured and not delighted in. We consider ourselves dead to sin. So if sin does prevail, we feel guilt, embarrassment and shame. Continue on from verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. 
Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. This paragraph is putting the last paragraph into practice. How do we live a life where we have considered ourselves dead to the power of sin? Christianity is not an emotional experience. It should be a way of life. The Christian is meant to go out and live a Christian life in a world full of evil, sin and problems. In fact, Paul says that we should go out and use our bodies as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. We should not let sin control us. We all have sinful desires, but we must not give in to them. If you give yourself completely to God, you cannot then give yourself as an instrument of evil. The more of yourself you give to God and the less of the, left, the less of yourself you have left, the sin. If you completely give yourself to God, then you can no longer, then sin can no longer be your master. But there lies our problem: giving ourselves fully to God. We are always holding that little bit back and opening the door for sin. From verse 15, well then. Since sins, God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Notice this is pretty much the same question as in verse 1. And again, Paul gives the same answer. Of course not. That's unthinkable. Perish the thought. Verse 16. Don't you realise that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave of sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teachings, which have given, which have given you. Now you are free from your slavery, slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. In the 14th century... Two brothers fought for the right to rule over a dukedom in what is now called Belgium. The eldest brother's name was Reynold, but he was commonly called Crassus, a Latin nickname meaning fat, for he was horribly obese. After a heated battle, Reynold's younger brother Edward led a successful revolt against him and assumed the title of Dume, over his land, Duke over his land. But instead of killing Reynold, Edward devised the curious imprisonment. He had a room in the castle built around Crassus, a room with only one door. The door was not locked and the windows were not barred. And Edward promised Reynold that he could regain his land and his title any time that he wants. All you would have to do is leave the room. 
The obstacle to freedom was not the door or the windows, but Reinhold himself. Being grossly overweight, he could not fit through the door. Even though it was near normal size, all Reynold needed to do was diet down to a smaller size, then walk out a free man, and he would be given all that he had before. However, his younger brother kept sending him an assortment of tasty foods, and Reynold's desire, for, desire to be free never won over his desire to eat. Some would accuse Duke Edward of being cruel to his older brother, but he would simply reply, my brother is not a prisoner. He may leave so he may leave when so when he may leave when he so wills. But Reynolds stayed in that room for ten years until Edward himself was killed in battle. This ac- accurately illustrates the ex- experience of many Christians. Jesus set them forever free legally, and they may walk in a freedom from sin whenever they choose. But since they kept yielding their bodily appetites to the services of sin, they live a life of defeat, a life of discouragement, and a life of imprisonment. From verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do what is right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is the result? of your sin. I mentioned earlier that I became a Christian quite young in life and I don't remember not being a Christian but as a young man even as a Christian I did rebel against God. Looking back I just wanted to fit in, be part of the crowd and I did become a slave to alcohol and sin. Although I must say I still never really fitted in. When I think back at that time I am full of shame. I know that God has forgiven me, but I haven't forgiven myself. And I've heard preachers say, just let it all go, like it never happened, because you are forgiven. But actually, I like the feeling of shame and guilt that comes from those memories, because it may stop me from doing anything like that again. Paul describes a principle ingrained in human nature. Sin leads to more sin. Righteousness leads to more righteousness. This describes the dynamic power of our habits and how we move along in the direction we are pointed. Think of four trees in a row. The first at one year of growth. The second at five years of growth the third at 10 and the last at 15. Which tree will be the most difficult to pull out of the ground? Obviously, the longer we are rooted in a behaviour, the harder it is to uproot. A principle that works both for good and for evil. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Sin and death go together. If you break the law, you pay the consequences, and the consequences of your sin is your death. But God, because he loves you, has offered you a free gift, a pardon, through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, breaking the power of sin, and he was raised from the dead, breaking the power of death. So whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Is sin important? Sin gives Satan power. When you think about it, sin is the only power Satan has. And he uses sin to separate us from God. He used it on Adam with great success. He uses it in the world today with great success. And he is trying to use sin on you to drive a wedge between you and Jesus. As John said in his sermon last week, from one sinful man, Adam, sin came into the world and from one righteous man, Jesus, righteousness came into the world. Draw on the righteousness of Jesus to resist the evil one. Thank you.